We open our Bibles tonight and turn in God's Word to 1 Timothy 2, or 1, 1 Timothy 1. Our text is found in verse 15 of this chapter. 1 Timothy 1, we begin reading in verse 1. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good, if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Albeit for this cause, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So far we read God's word. Our text, as I mentioned, is found in verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What a beautiful confession we have in the verse before us this evening. 
Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. What a thrill that lends to the heavy heart of one who knows his or her sin. But this is not only a beautiful confession that Paul makes here in this verse, it's a unique confession. The great Apostle Paul, the one whom God used to write much of the New Testament scriptures, is the one who makes this confession. And in it he says this, of all those sinners in this world that Christ has come to save, I am the chief. This man of God looks at his own heart, and as he does, he says, there is no greater sinner than I. Of course, we must realize that he says this in part anyway, and this was before his mind at that particular moment when he penned these words too, that horrible sin that he was guilty of yet while he was in unbelief in the persecution of God's people. And in this chapter, Paul points out to Timothy that Timothy, young Timothy, would have to deal with others in the church at that time who were, on the one hand, teaching false doctrines, false doctrines that led to an unholy walk of life. These men, he said, would give heed to heedless or endless genealogies and fables. They were men who were desiring of themselves to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they said or whereof they affirmed. These men would, in fact, deny complete salvation in Jesus Christ and place far too much stock in the Old Testament customs and traditions of the Jews. Paul had then charged Timothy, command these men to cease from their teaching. Stop them. Do not allow them room in the church of Jesus Christ. Stand up to them as a young pastor and confront these men who ministered questions and rendered strife. Yet in instructing Timothy about those men in particular, Paul was reminded of who he was prior to his conversion. And he writes in the verses just preceding our text this afternoon, verses 12 through 14, I thank God, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He had taught false doctrine. He had placed his trust in the works of the law rather than in Jesus Christ. He had even persecuted. He was injurious to God's people, the early Christians. And what mercy God had showed him in Christ in saving him and giving him, therefore, a proper understanding of his word, opening his eyes to the things of the kingdom of heaven. For that reason, Paul... Some claim in these verses was merely reflecting on his past when he said, I am the chief of sinners. He was looking at the days prior to his conversion now, on the road to Damascus. He was looking at what he had done in his past, 
And then they say, I was the chief of sinners. That's what Paul was referring to. Not after his conversion, but before his conversion only. But that's obviously not what this particular verse before us speaks. Rather, Paul says, Christ came into this world to save sinners, and out of all of those sinners, I am chief. Not I was chief, but I am. That makes this confession unique. As a child of God redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ, sanctified and made holy in him, I am, Paul says, the chief of sinners. And this week, as we examine ourselves to come properly to the table of the Lord, we're not going to take this confession that the Apostle Paul speaks here and hold it at arm's length and say, well, I wonder what Paul did wrong or was doing wrong in his life that he would say of himself that he's the chief of sinners. No, we're going to take this confession of the Apostle Paul and we're going to apply that confession to ourselves and to our own hearts. Each one of us, before we come to the late table of the Lord, must confess, I am the chief of sinners. And Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners and to save me. That's what we need to confess. That's what we need to examine ourselves according to the word of God tonight. So we consider the chief of sinners, the chief of sinners. In the first place, this confession that Paul makes. Secondly, the assurance that he comes to also in this confession. And then finally, the humility that is shown in the confession that he makes. It's clear that Paul speaks here of a certain class of people, and this class of people he calls sinners. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And for us to understand this confession, it is therefore above all things necessary for us to know who and what is a, a sinner. Now, that word sin or sinner literally means a missing of the mark. And Paul gives a whole list of sinners in the passage that we read also um, this afternoon in connection with this uh, chapter. Knowing this, that the law, verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for Sinners. Now, here's the list, Paul says. Unholy, profane, murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, manslayers, whoremongers, them that defile themselves with mankind, men-stealers, kidnappers, liars, perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So he makes this list of sinners in the passage that we have before us. In Galatians 5, Paul lists a, a, a whole bunch of different sins that are found in one's sinful flesh. And in the Lord's Supper form, as we're going to read it a little later on, we find another whole list, don't we, of sinners there. And if we were to, to take a close look at these lists, we would find that 
These sinners are those who violate the law of God. They're lawless, Paul says. And that's what sin is. Sin is a violation of the law of God. It's a missing of the mark of God's law. I recall when I was a pastor in Kalamazoo that there was a member of my church who was practicing in his backyard to go bow hunting. And I know that that's an example that a number of you know about as well. When I stopped by his house, he wanted me to try shooting at his target. Well, I'm sorry, but I had no experience whatsoever with a compound bow, but I decided uh, to try to do that. It's hard enough for me to pull the compound bow back, but he had a target, and it was a large target set up on the other side of his yard, and in it he had drawn uh, a large piece of cardboard, and in it he had drawn his target. So I, I pulled back the bow and shot that first arrow, and it right over the top of that target. I took a couple more shots, and I hit the corner of the, the, the cardboard, not the target, and the next shot did the same thing, and I told him I can't do it, I can't hit the target. So I quit. Well, all right, very early example. That's what sin is. It is missing the target, but not by accident. It's missing the target deliberately. You see, you and I, and all men, have this large target in front of us in our lives. God sets it there before you and me. It's the target of God's law. And every person in this world, without exception, is placed before that target of God's law. And the command goes out from God. You must shoot your life at that target. And you must hit it dead center. You must keep the target of my law perfectly. And that target of God's law is not some target that's so far away you can hardly see it. A target of God's law does not take a periscope in order to see the bullseye in that target. It's right in front of us. The target's so large that really no one can miss the target. You may not serve the gods of this world. You may not take my name in vain. You must keep the Lord's day holy unto me. You may not kill you may not commit adultery. You, you may not be greedy. You may not covet. I mean, God doesn't camouflage that law so that we cannot see that law. Every person in the world, and you and me included, see that law of God. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. So, God says to you and to me, who are redeemed now in the blood of our Savior, aim your lives at the target of my law and hit it, and hit it dead center. Do not hit the target of my commandments because you think that by doing so you're going to earn something in my sight. You're not going to earn anything in my sight. I give you a commandment, you just keep it, I'm God. You don't try to hit that target of my law because you think by keeping that target I look squeaky clean in everybody else's eyes so that I can elevate myself above my neighbor a little bit and say, see, I do a better job of keeping God's law than my neighbor. 
God says to you and to me, if that's what you're shooting at, you're missing the target. Because my law demands of you one thing. Love me. Love me with heart, mind, soul, and strength. Summary of God's commandments. And love your neighbor as yourself. That is my law. Now Paul places before us this huge class of people, sinners, that target. These are people who, when placed before the command of God to love him, refuse to do so. In other words, when that target of God's law is placed in front of them, they turn their back on God's law and they shoot that arrow of their lives and of their thoughts and of their desires in exactly the opposite direction. And they're shooting at another target. That target is self-satisfaction. I'm going to do what is right in my own eyes. I don't really want to obey God unless God's commandments might agree with what I'm doing in my life. I don't want to seek God. I want to seek my own pleasure. I don't want to keep God's commandments. I want to keep my own commandments. So my eyes are closed to God's commandments. Or I pretend that that God isn't there and he's not looking at me. Or I might pretend, well, that God loves everybody in this world and he loves me too, even though I'm walking in sin against him. Sinner is not just simply a person who tries to obey God's commandment and then makes a mistake and fails to do so. A sinner is one who stubbornly, stubbornly disobeys God's commandments. And when we see the target of God's law, such an one refuses to aim at it. He doesn't want to hit it. He'd rather hit the target of what's right in his own eyes. So, that's a sinner. Now we examine ourselves according to the standard of God's holy law. Where have you failed? Failed? Uh, I fail? I'm redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm made holy by Jesus Christ. Uh, why are we talking about my failures? I mean, look out there in the world at all the, the sins that are found out there. Why, why are we now looking at ourselves and saying, where have, where have I failed? We do not commit those sins. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. That's who he has come to save. Are we sinners? If not, then Jesus Christ hasn't come into this world to save us. We must know our sins. And if right now we view ourselves in that self-righteous way as if, well, I don't really have that many serious sins. And I don't really have to come before God on bended knee and in sorrow and confess my sins before God. If I see myself as one who doesn't really have to strive to love my neighbor, especially my brothers and sisters in the Lord and the church, I don't have to love them 
Well, we're, we're lost in our sins. God will not have communion with such a person. Not with Pharisees. Not with self-righteous people. And neither is God pleased with such sinners. The writer to the Hebrews says, let us serve God perfectly with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. As we read in Galatians 5, such sinners have no part in the kingdom of God. So we do not flatter ourselves, do we? And we do not deceive ourselves either today. The wrath of God lies upon the workers of iniquity. That's how serious sin is. So we examine ourselves now according to the word of God. And God tells us, look into your own heart and see and know your own sin. Honestly, look into your own heart. Don't look at somebody else. Let's look into our own heart and what will we see there in us. I don't know about you, but when I hear this word of God, then I I hang my head in shame. We are all sinners before God's holy law. No man is justified. I said it this morning. I say it again. Every mouth is stopped, and the world becomes guilty before God. We do. All rights. You are all sinners. We are all sinners. But there's something that separates me, Paul says, from the rest of you. I, Paul confesses, am the chief of all sinners. This is a faithful saying and worthy of, accept, all, of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It is one thing, you know, people of God, to console ourselves by saying that together we belong to this whole mass of people that are called sinners. I mean, we're all sinners together. We do not feel so badly about ourselves when we think that, well, everyone else is a sinner too. I'm not in this all by myself. The whole world sins against God. And I'm just one sinner among countless other sinners. But now, let us try to number ourselves among some of those greatest sinners that Paul lists for us in the chapter that we read. Hmm. I may be a sinner, but I'm not a harlot. I'm not a whoremonger. I, I'm not a drunkard. I'm not a thief, or worse yet, I, I, I'm not a person who defiles himself with mankind. I, I'm not that bad. I, I'm, I'm a step above all of these other sinners in this world. On a little higher level, because after all, I'm a member of the church, you see. Here's what Paul says of himself after looking into the inner recesses of his own heart. Am the chief of sinners. When I look at the multitude of sinners in this world that are all around me, I'm the chief of them all. I belong in a, in a class all by myself. I'm number one sinner. 
How could Paul say that of himself? Well, beloved, because Paul, by God's grace, was given to know his own sin and the power of sin in his own life. Sin is a powerful thing. God not only delivers us from our sin, you know, but God in his grace gives those whom he has saved a very keen or a very sensitive understanding of what sin really is. That's the work of sanctification, you know. By the work of sanctification, we're not made perfectly holy. What sanctification uh, performs in you and me is, is uh, a deep understanding of what we can find within our own hearts and souls, our own sinful flesh that we carry within us. We're not made perfect. It doesn't take away all our sins. We, we, we know that well. But Christ, by his Spirit, makes us very sensitive to what sin is in us. You know how a tooth can be sensitive, sometimes cold and hot? Well, that's what's true of the believer as far as sin is concerned. It makes our hearts very sensitive to what sin is in our own lives. And under the influence of the Spirit in his own heart, in life, Paul could look into his own heart, the only heart that he knew inside and out, and he could say, of all sinners, I am the chief. Well, people of God, I know that that's not true. Because I'm the chief of all sinners, not Paul. I am. And every one of us as believers sitting here will say, no, Reverend Brainsma, that's not, that's not true either. I'm the chief of sinners. That's the confession, you see, that you and I make as believers. I can compare myself sinners in this world. I might be able to see their outward deeds. I might be able to see your outward deeds. I don't know your hearts, but I know my heart. And I know the sin that dwells in my sinful flesh. And it scares me to death. That's how strong the power of sin is in our flesh, you see. It's a horrible power. And we all see it. We all see it in ourselves. So we all make this particular confession, not just the Apostle Paul, we all do. I'm a chief of sinners. We don't elevate myself above any of the others that I know in this world or in my church. We're pretty good at that sometimes, aren't we? I'm, I'm not going to elevate myself above any others. Because I don't know anyone as well as I know myself. I don't need to look at the life that he leads. I know what goes on in my own thoughts and what goes on in my own desires. And if I were to say that I'm better than someone else and boast of myself, that makes me a Pharisee. Self-righteous in myself. A believer does not feel that somehow, some way, he or she has attained 
unto perfection in this life. On the contrary, a believer knows his or her sin and misery. He looks at the power of sin in his life, and he sees it, and he knows it. We may not be examining Paul tonight and think, wow, I wonder what the Apostle Paul was doing in his life that made him say that. We only need to examine ourselves and be humbled. God be merciful to me, sinner. Well, humbled sinner, God is merciful. Christ Jesus came into this world, Paul confesses, to save sinners. Salvation. That's the word. That's the word that we need to hear in light of our confession. Salvation from the horrible sins that beset our hearts and our lives. We're saved from the wrath of God that, well, we deserve on account of what we have done in this life. We're saved from the impending punishment that would necessarily have been ours on account of our sins. And that, too, is the confession now that the Apostle Paul makes here in this word of God before us. Though we are made to see the horror of sin and made to see the horror, horrible consequences of sin, God's word never leaves the elect sinner in doubt and despair. Never does. We are made to see, too, isn't that true of us? We are made see, to see, too, that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound in our lives. While we were yet sinners, Christ was sent into this world to save sinners, those who recognize themselves as sinners. The all-glorious Son of God came down from his glory on high, where he sat in heaven as that second person of the Trinity. He came down. He was exalted in all perfection in heavenly glory. Came down from heaven into this world to dwell among sinners. And that Son of God was born of a man. In order that he might take on him the sin and the guilt of that sin. Consider what an act of condescension that was. Son of God, to leave his glory behind to come down into this world and dwell among you and me, sinners. And Christ bore those sins, didn't he? Every one of them. He bore them at the cross. So I look into my heart now look into my heart, and I look across my past life, and each one of those sins that pain me so much, God has taken, and he has laid them upon the shoulders of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And then Christ went to the cross, and at the cross, all of that eternal wrath of God against my sin was poured out upon Jesus Christ himself. I deserve to perish in my sin. But God, in his rich grace toward me, poured out all of his anger and all of his wrath upon his only beloved son, Jesus Christ. Amazing. Amazing work of God's grace. 
Christ earned for us righteousness before God. And he did that by entirely paying the price for our sin. For every one of God's elect people. Every one of us. It was for this end that Christ was ordained from eternity. It was for this end that God anointed him. We spoke of that name Christ this morning. If you notice in the passage before us, the Apostle Paul speaks of Christ Jesus. Jesus was his personal name. But Christ was his title. He was Christ Jesus. And that means that, that Jesus, as the Christ, was anointed by God with the Spirit so that he could perform once again that work of prophet, priest, and king for you and me. That's what's emphasized by the Apostle Paul. A lot of times we read Jesus Christ, don't we? Not in this passage, not in this chapter. He switches the names around. He calls him Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus. That's what he is. So Christ came into this world, and by God's grace, he brings to you and to me the, the, the knowledge of our salvation. It's a prophet works in you and me. A knowledge not only of our salvation, he works in us the law of God, doesn't he? In fact, that law of God is written upon the fleshy tables of our hearts. And then, as our priest, he sanctifies you and me, makes us holy. That means that we become consecrated in the service of God. We see that law of God, and it is our desire. Surely it is, according to that, that new man that we have within. It's our desire to keep those commandments of God. We desire that. And then finally, as our King, Jesus Christ, works in our hearts so that we, we, we fight against those sins and we fight against our weaknesses and we're constantly bringing them before God and confessing them in our prayers. All that involves, you see, in the work of our salvation. Christ Jesus came into this world to save, to deliver us. Poor sinners that we are. No more. There's more. Christ came into this world to save the chief of sinners. And that's what makes this confession of the Apostle Paul in this passage so, so personal. He not only knew his sin, but he again by God's grace was given the knowledge of his salvation his own salvation in the blood of Christ Christ came into this world to save sinners but he came into this world to save me the chief of sinners he came and saved me I'm the chief and yet he has saved me I know my sin. That's what he tells us. But I also know my Savior. And that's the confession, once again, that you and I make in this week to come as, as we examine ourselves now according to God's word. We make that confession. Jesus Christ came into this world to save not just Paul, not just him or her, he came into this world to save me. I'm the chief of sinners, and he saved me. 
Because Jesus Christ didn't come into this world to save the, or to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Blessed assurance I am given. Jesus is mine, my Savior. And that, that's a comfort to us. And that comfort we must find too as we approach unto the table of the Lord. Not only that we're sinners, but that Jesus Christ has died to take away our own sins. The sin of all sinners that are his elect, but, but our own too. And we thank God who gives us the victory, therefore, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in that salvation. And we're humbled. We're humbled by that salvation, too. And that's why the Apostle Paul could add here now at the very beginning of this verse, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. You know, the statement that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief is not something that many people are willing to say. Not many people are willing to confess that. Many will look at Jesus as a savior from sin in a rather shallow and, and superficial way. And they'll place all the emphasis on, on Christ's manhood and that he came into this world and he was such a good example and that you and I, you know, we, we, we have to follow after that good example of Jesus Christ. Well, that's true. That's true. But that's not why he came into this world. When they talk about salvation, they'll talk about it in a rather broad and, and generic way. But to truly say what the Apostle Paul says here in this passage, that takes humility. Humility on our part. And not many are willing. Not many are willing to admit the truth that they're the chief of sinners. I make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. I might even have made an error in judgment. But no, you sinned. You missed the target of God's law. You didn't love him as you should. That's offensive to me. I don't like to hear that in my life. To admit what we have before us in this particular confession takes humility. And that's why I say not too many people will really admit what the Apostle Paul here is confessing. Not even in the church. Many who do not do that. They don't see Christ as the Savior that he really is. So, Paul says... What I am going to tell you in this verse, that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners, is a faithful saying. That is to say, it's a true saying. That's what that word really is there. It is a true saying. And it's a true saying because, well, this say, saying stands in accord, perfect accord, with what God teaches us in his word. This is a saying, Paul says, that really really hits at the core of the gospel because this is the gospel. Christ has come to save sinners. That's all. Not a supreme example. Christ came to save sinners. And he came to save even horrible sinners such as we are. That's a true saying. That's a faithful saying that we have before us. 
So we must see the value of that saying. Paul adds, this is worthy of acceptation. This is something that we must accept as God's people. It's worthy of that, you see. There's the value in it. But again, to see that value takes humility, a humility that God will only work now in the hearts of his people. Christ did not come into this world to save every sinner. If he did, his work was powerful enough to save every one of them too, and everyone would be going to heaven. That's not true. But he has come to save those whom he has, by his grace, given to see their sin. Do you see your sin? Do I see my sin? Did we see our need, don't we, for the cross of Jesus Christ in our lives? And then we can come to the table of the Lord next week, the Lord willing, and we can take partaker of that heavenly meat and drink properly in our lives. So what's your reaction to this faithful saying of Paul? Pride or humility? I am the chief of sinners. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amen. Father in heaven, we are thankful for thy word, and we pray that that word might find a ready entrance now into our hearts too. And even as we prepare ourselves in this week to come, to come to the table of the Lord, we ask that thy spirit might dwell richly in our hearts, that we might know our sin, confess it before thee, and then see the marvelous salvation that thou hast given to us only for the sake of our Savior. Go with us now in the rest of our service as we read the form, and may thy spirit apply thy word unto our hearts so that we might truly examine ourselves in this week to come.